78644 is brought to you by Texas Hatters, where they top the best. Ask me who I was. In life, I was your partner. You remember my name. The chain business. The chain Mankind was my business. The common welfare was my business. And your charity, mercy, forbearance, and benevolence were all my business. The dealings of my trade were but a drop of water in the comprehensive ocean of my business. Tonight is a unique show. In addition to artists and songwriters, we'll also be visited by three spirits. Not the ones that you are used to, though those characteristics are in there. These spirits are local. I'm Stephen Collins, and this is 78644. Austin singer-songwriter Beth Lee of Beth Lee and the Breakups stopped by the studio to discuss new music, what she's been up to, as well as play one of her original songs. She's going to be playing at Old Pal. What's the date of the show? Uh, it's next Thursday. It's actually on the 22nd, December 22nd. It's December 22nd at Old Pal, right? Yeah. And is that is is that a full band show, or is it just you and your friends, or just you? Or what's the what's the? Format? It's probably going to be just me. I mean, I might have a friend come out and sit in, but usually I just play there solo. What I like about Old Pal, it reminds me of the old Austin, like the Horseshoe Lounge, and oh yeah, and yeah, that kind of I can thing. see that. Were you born in Austin, or did you come here? Or tell me a little bit about that. I was born in Houston, and I moved here probably twenty years ago now. Um, or I moved to Austin, rather, went to UT, started playing music at open mics, and eventually just formed a band. My dad was in a band in Houston, so just kind of music kind of came naturally to me. I started learning the guitar when I, when I, when I was in college, and um, I just go to the Cactus Cafe on occasion, do their open mic. Got a little more serious once I got out of school. Started looking for musicians to play with and people to make a record with. It took a few years, but... I made something back in like 2008, and then eventually that kind of led to a band and playing out live on a regular basis. The latest record was, it was how long ago was that? Uh, we released it in 2021. We had everything done. The actual single release of the title track was uh, four days before COVID. So then it was like, well, what do you do now? Do you release it and not have a show or whatever? So it kind of sat on it until when we thought the pandemic was over the first time <laughs> and then released it and then it was snowed the next day. So there was that. Even though you recorded a little bit a while ago, it's, it's kind of a new record, right? Fairly new. I mean, I still play all those, you know, play all those songs live at, at shows and I'm uh, making another record now. I don't know if you're familiar with, if you've listened to any in the last one a lot, but it's a little more in an indie direction. What do you mean by indie? Like more? I think the guitar parts are just... A lot of the guitar is different. The last one still has kind of a little bit of a country vibe on some of the stuff or blues and soul and whatever. This one's just a little bit more eclectic. I didn't have a plan for any of the tunes. Like usually I've played them live a few times and I have an idea in my head, like I already kind of envisioned something. But this time all the tunes were just like, I wrote them during, you know, during COVID or whatever and sang them by myself in my bedroom. So I had no idea what what was going to end up happening with them. So we basically rearranged all the tempos and made the fast ones slow and the slow ones fast and, you know, that kind of thing. And some of them weren't even, the words weren't even finished. So it was more of a, like, on the spot, like, we're, we're finishing this now in the studio. It's kind of an excitement with that. I mean, I... I, there is, but for me, I don't know. I, I'm one of I'm a little OCD sometimes. So it was kind of stressful, but it did come out with some original things that I would have never thought of. Like we used a drum machine on a song, okay, you know. Yeah. Like never used a drum machine before in my life. Is there a set of influences that you came up with that you're that you gravitated toward, or you're trying to get away from? Um. Well, we kind of were listening to uh, one of the Courtney Barnett's new records to get like a variety of tempos and kind of styles of, of songs. That was one influence. Um, I've always really liked uh, Nicole Atkins. She's got kind of a different style, but she still kind of 
rootsy in a way. One of my new biggest influences is probably Angel Olsen. She, um, I saw her in Nashville a couple months ago. She just has that kind of cool, like she's indie, but she's also country. And then, you know, she's rock. She's got all that wide array of, of influences. But I don't think we, other than the Courtney Barnett thing, I don't think we really set out to make like something like a specific artist. I don't know if those, influ- those influenced the writing per se in, in the beginning. It was just a lot of like being bored during COVID and staying up late and drinking wine by myself. Stream of consciousness, kind of like none of them really had an idea for a song. It was just like playing guitar and seeing what came out. So, Are you a person who, when you write songs, are are you just kind of stream of consciousness and you find it? Or, or do you have like another source that's coming in, like the watching a movie and kind of do I mean, is that, does that ring a bell? Usually I just pick up the guitar and hum or sing a melody and then hopefully eventually something sounds like a word. And then I'm like, whoa, that would, you know, that sounds like I said this, even though I had no like conscious, you know, I didn't know I was going to say that. I mean, mm-hmm. of course there's the songs that are like, you know, they come out in three minutes and you have this great idea and scribble it down, but that's rare. <laughs> so when when does the new record come out? I'm going to release it probably in May. Okay. It just depends on how quick we can get it mixed and mastered and then, you know, promoting it and all that. I appreciate you coming by and taking time to 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 be a part of the show. Can you set up the song for us a little bit? Uh, Playing along? Well, it was... One of my favorites that we recorded on the last record, um, like you said, it did kind of have like a Christmassy, like feel-good kind of a vibe, even though it's not particularly a happy song. But yeah, it just, I don't know. It's one of my favorites still that, that I play. Searching for 
something Baby, you know I'll keep you satisfied I was yours You were gone Why don't you take me On your own Oh, I wanna know What I did wrong Cause I was just Playing along Oh, I was just Playing along Maria Tabula is an artist who lives here in Lockhart, Texas. Her paintings will be exhibited at Commerce Gallery until the end of December. Marie stopped by the studio to talk to us a little bit about the exhibit. Marie, thanks for coming in. Thank you for having me. I want to just talk a little bit about who you are as a person. I know you've, you've lived here in Lockhart almost as long as I have. I was born in Austin and spent the good chunk of my life there. And then I um, graduated McCallum High School and... Um, went to ACC for a while, and there I took my first life drawing class with Madeline Umloff, who's the daughter of Charles Umloff, who owns the Umloff Sculpture Garden in Austin. So Madeline taught this life drawing class through ACC that was um, held at Laguna Gloria, actually, which is now part of the Austin Contemporary Campus. I had always painted and drawn through school but something about the the life drawing class just really clicked. And I just fell in love with that process and applied to the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. And uh, Madeline wrote me a recommendation letter. And so I got to go to Chicago and study there. It was a phenomenal experience. It was a lot of fun. It's a beautiful city. The institution is part of the museum right there on Michigan Avenue. So I had full access to one of my favorite museums, just an amazing museum. And paintings there became like home because I was able to go visit them. You know, lunch breaks, walking through the museum was a shortcut on a rainy day just to be able to have full access and just go sit whenever I wanted to. And there was amazing professors there that I got to study with and did lots of painting and drawing and running around Chicago. I wrote a paper on, and I've been thinking about it a lot lately, actually, as I kind of made a move back to landscapes. There's a painting by Piet Mondrian, who does the kind of bright yellow, red, blue boxes, typically. But his earlier work was landscapey, very dreary and nostalgic. And he had this period of work that I'm kind of in love with, where he was moving from realism to abstraction And he had started doing his abstract work, and then he went, I think, from Paris back home to Dufendrecht and painted this farm. There's several paintings of this farm from 1905 to 1916, and the Art Institute has this painting by Mondrian, Farm Near Dufendrecht of 1916. It's just this kind of beautiful in-between moment. You can see the brighter colors coming in from abstraction and the looseness and the canvas showing through. And that was always one of my favorite pieces at the Art Institute just to go and stare at. But there's a a lot of work there. There's some beautiful, beautiful Manets and Corot and some really amazing Lautrec pieces. There's the Georgia O'Keeffe, that long cloudscape sits above the stairwell and there's a gorgeous Chagall window. There's a stained glass window in the museum that Chagall did that's really breathtaking. Yeah, when I first moved out here, it was like being in an Edward Hopper painting. Oh, that's interesting. Because, you know, you would go around at night and it would be very few people, Mm -hmm. but you'd have this early 20th century architecture Mm -hmm. and it would have a few lights on and that kind of thing. I was like, man, this is really like being in a Edward Hopper painting. <laughs> oh. And I've always loved that, you know. I, yeah. I don't know why I like it, but I'm attracted to sort of its, I guess there's a loneliness to it that I thought is kind of vast and, um, and introspective. It's kind of the, the shadow of Norman Rockwell. Yeah. Yeah, kind of that um, early Americana, but just a different viewpoint. Yeah. Yeah, I always loved looking at Grant Wood's work, too. Yeah, there's some really classic pieces at the Art Institute, like American Gothic mm-hmm. and um, 
Edward Hopper's Nighthawks. And I really, I did some studying of Grant Wood there because everybody knows American Gothic, but nobody knows much of his other work. And it has that same just beautiful, simple farmscapes. My mom and dad's roots are um, outside Houston on like the rice farm paddies and fields. And um, so I think Grant Wood really reminded me of that. So much of art history is focused on New York and Paris and things that were going on. Yeah. You know, but Grant Wood and Thomas Hart Benton. And Waith. Yeah. They, they were capturing a whole, whole other thing that was going on. I've mainly been a figurative painter and been um, just enamored by the body for so long. I think I have a strange discourse in my work where I am fighting myself or trying to find some sort of symbiosis between figure and and background. For a long time, I was doing figurative work, and the I I think that in my work, I'm not trying to trick a viewer. I'm not interested in a in a fake facade, so not hyper realistic. And, and the background wasn't important to me. I wanted you to know it was paint on a surface. I like the surface. I like the white. I like it coming through. So just in the last several years, I've been following abstraction a lot more and a lot of ideas and theories around that and playing a lot more with the background and with color. And I think now I've just kind of pulled the figure out for a for a blip to focus on that that landscape which can still be very figurative to me um but it was kind of a refreshing journey side journey uh or i mean it's all a part of the same journey so there's a show up right now at commerce gallery and um there's four landscapes there and one is based on a commission I did. And the other three are titled Slide 1, 2, and 3, which were slides my dad took. So my dad uh, has passed, but he was an um, amateur photographer. And growing up, he constantly had a camera on him. He loved slides because of the vivid color. I think slides are nostalgic for everybody. There's something about them that's like the smell, uh, the noise of the slide projector. It's almost kind of a whole production on its own. It's a whole art piece. So when I was at Chicago at the School of the Art Institute, I had a, um, a performance class and my performance piece was taking a bunch of my dad's slides and projecting them and me standing in them. I think is a way to connect to these images. Um, and yeah, they were all um, maybe even kind of hopper-esque, kind of bleak landscapes, you know, a lonely road with some taillights. I think there was a beach and a farm and some of West Texas. I've just always come back to the slides throughout my life. Throughout my painting career, I've painted different things, like some sheep or a toy ducky from his work. Just using the slide as an image to connect to. I like removing myself as, as the artist and the viewer, you know, kind of that idea of translating it through something else, not just what I see, but something I've seen. And then it's just kind of a fun journey to be, to be really staring at and, and picking apart and dissecting an image and really be invested in an image that, that I didn't see, you know, that was, that was what he saw. And it's um, just like a fun translation. The fourth is based on um, a commission I got from Chaparral Coffee Shop to do a cactus scape on their wall. The, the mural was based on me thumbing through old postcards, like finding West Texas, kind of, again, that sort of nostalgic postcard visuals. It was an image I kind of created myself out of composites from different postcards and put it on the wall outside Chaparral Coffee Shop here in Lockhart on the Square. And then 
I got another commission based on that piece that's now living in Abilene. And uh, Tamara saw it, Tamara, the owner of Commerce Gallery. And she just loved it, and she wanted it. (laughs) So I replicated it again. I wanted to thank you for coming in and talking about your work and getting a deeper understanding on on you as an artist. And um, hopefully our listeners will go and check out the exhibit while it's there. Thank you so much for having me and putting on this amazing podcast. Thanks again, Marie. Thank you. And now a word from our sponsor. The phone rings, 9.35, and he goes, uh, hello, this is this Texas I said, yes, sir. This is, uh, this is Hank Williams Jr. Um, I need to place an order. I need to talk to Joella, because uh, I believe she's the daughter to Manny Gamage. And I'm like, Hector, shut up. I know it's you. And she goes, Excuse me, this is, isn't this Hector? And he goes, no, this is Hank Williams Jr., Mr. Bo Cephas. And I'm like, oh, Mr. Williams, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. I, I have friends that call and they try to pull my leg early in the morning, and this is about the time he calls. And I, I really apologize. I'm sorry, no disrespect. And then she goes, hey, it sounds like you got the same kind of friends as I do. No good. <laughs> and so, it was in the morning. It was Hank Williams. It really was Hank Williams. Come on down to Texas Hatters, where we top the best. Yeah, and I think it's about that time here that we uh, check in with the eye in the sky. Felix Robledo is uh, stepping in for some of the guys here since we've had a high turnover. Uh, I guess uh, just a lot of lot of bad luck out there with guys like Barney Chowder and Alan Parsons and some of the others. But uh, Felix, uh, tuning in here, can you hear me? Hey, Stephen, what's up? Felix Robledo here. Your eye in the sky up here. Yeah, looking around Lockhart, looks like Santa's going to have probably a clear path coming in. Um, the only thing I can see is you know the tallest building in town, other than the old home. That's the old Mickey D sign. So I'm just thinking, you know, as long as I think when he usually comes in, when I've seen Santa a couple times when he has done that, I think he's always come in, coming from the west, and so he kind of plays back on the uh, on the McDonald's sign. Um, also looking up, up here on Chopper right now, looks like a big, big line over at the old mall, everybody trying to get their last minute shopping done, but you know how it is here, not a lot of places to shop, so you gotta, you gotta get it done at the old mall if you're going to do that, but... Always looking good, don't forget. Chick-fil-A is going to close on Sunday there, so might want to get in quick there. I know they're running that uh, that little special that they always do on Christmas. And like I said, you got to watch out for the McDonald's sign because I think it's like the last days of McRib, and there's going to be no more McRib ever. So if I was going to go to the old mall and then try to come back and hit that and get the McRib, might be the last time you can do that. I appreciate it, Stephen. You're in the sky. Well, thank you, Felix. Folks, I think what Felix was trying to say there is uh, shop local. Shop local for your Christmas presents, that's right, for your gifts and all the things that you need for the holidays. Shop local. You've heard Mark Willenborg on the show before, but what you didn't know is he has a side project that does their own original Christmas songs. The project's called Misfit Toys, which if you're familiar with the stop animated classic Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, with uh, Herbie the Elf, who wants to be a dentist, then you'll know about the Island of Misfit Toys, for which this group is named. And uh, it always brings just a warm feeling to your heart this time of year. So here's the Misfit Toys with Come Quick, St. Nick. No, I don't wish for mistletoe or red poinsettias. Now all I have is just one wish This long cold Christmas Eve Come quick, Saint Nick, Saint Nick, come quick Come quick, Saint Nick, Saint Nick, come quick Please come quick, Saint Nick, Saint Nick, come quick Please come my way on Christmas Day I'm Finn
December 15th, Aaron Pete Lukes is playing at Old Pal at 9.30 to 11.30 p.m. Lodoff Fannies is having Christmas karaoke on December 15th and December 22nd. Ugly Christmas sweaters are encouraged. That's from 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. The Pearl is uh, having open mic with Michael James Trio. Sign up at 6.30 to be on the list. The event's from 7 to 9 p.m. Friday, December 16th. Old Pal is having the Craig Marshall Band from 9.30 to 11.30 p.m. The Pearl is having singer-songwriter Tony Taylor from 8.30 to 10.30 p.m. Arts and Craft is having the worst Christmas party ever with DJ Island Time. It starts at 8 p.m. You must be prepared for really bad food and a really great time. The Gaslight Theater presents Miss Bennett's Christmas at Pemberley. It starts at 8 p.m. Saturday, December 17th, Old Pal is having Josh Fields, 9.30 to 11.30 p.m. Gaslight's having the Miss Bennett's Christmas at Pemberley, 8 p.m. show. Sunday, December 18th, The Pearl is having W.C. Clark, matinee at 3 to 5 p.m. Arts and Craft is having block printed wrapping paper. That's at 5 p.m. It's an event. You can register at itxac.com. Lodoff Fannies is having the Blues Jam from 2 to 5 p.m. Gaslight Baker Theater will be doing Miss Bennett's Christmas at Pemberley. That's a 2 p.m. matinee show. Tuesday, December 20th, Fiddler's Green presents Two-Step Tuesday with Jenny and the Corn Ponies, South Texas Tweak at Commerce Hall. Dance lessons are at 7 p.m. and the music starts at 8 p.m. It's a $10 at the door. Arts and Crafts will be having Little Mazarin, Creek Bed Carter, and Hemlock starting at 8 p.m. The suggested donation at the door is $5 to $10. Wednesday, December 21st, The Pearl will be having Stony Gable from 7 to 9 p.m. Thursday, December 22nd, Old Pal will be having Beth Lee from 7 to 9 p.m. Friday, December 23rd, Old Pal will be having Callaway Rich and the Prickly Pears from 9.30 to 11.30 p.m. The Pearl will be having Danny Ray Harris duo from 8 to 10 p.m. Sunday, December 25th. Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas, In jail. Go on home. They're waiting for you. Wednesday, December 28th, Chris Lancaster is playing from 7 to 9 p.m. Do you have plans for New Year's Eve? It can be pretty quiet. It can be pretty sleepy. And if you don't want to stay and watch the bad television shows, did you know 
that The Pearl is hosting a New Year's Eve party with RDO Band from San Antonio from 8.30 to 11.30 p.m. Gives you time to get home and watch the ball drop. Little Trouble and the Gaslight Baker Theater present Midnight in New Orleans, a two-story Bontef's Ball at Little Trouble and the El Dorado, a New Year's Eve party benefiting the Gaslight Baker Theater from 8 to 2 a.m. It's a big, huge New Year's Eve experience, a five-course roaming feast, midnight champagne toast, DJs Dave Francis, Clara Francis, and Kevin Trevector, jazz by Haley Tuck and Band, event photography by Maple Street Picks, French Quarter Photo Booth, the Gaslight Baker Theater Silent Auction Fundraiser, and they will have a midnight ball drop. That's pretty extraordinary. That's it for 78644 News. Have you ever been on some sort of journey where you're looking for something, some sort of treasure, right? And you find it. Well, that's kind of what happened to me and my friend Dennis. Dennis Fallon, most people know him from the band Two Tons of Steel. And he and I have worked together for 10 years now. Dennis uh, has helped me a lot in my own work as a guitar player. And he's just a really good friend of mine. We love to cook and we like the finer things in life. When I had heard about Appengold, uh, I wanted to take Dennis with me because I thought, man, this Dennis of, of, of most of my friends, he's, he's, I have a lot of friends that would like this, but I think Dennis would really like this. So we have in our midst a place that, that makes something that you can only find one place in the world. And that is increasingly rare. In between Lockhart and Luling is a small little distillery that makes Edelbrand which is a liquor that's made from fruit. Apple, pear, and cherry are the flavors they offer. And because it's Texas, they offer that also in oak. So you'll have sort of a bourbon scotch kind of thing. I didn't know about Edelbrand until Dennis and I went out there to visit the distillery and see what they did and what they made. And what they make is a very rare, product that you can, in some cases with the oak distilled bottles, are only found here, the only place in the world. This distillery medals five stars in competitions around the world, including Austria, Switzerland, and Germany, the Alps region where Edelbrand is made. They use the best fruit in the United States to make a fruit-to-bottle product, and they are in our midst. So let me tell you about the three spirits, which are apple, pear, and cherry from Appengold. We actually almost now exactly five years. Uh, we opened in October 2017, I think, yeah. So we were pretty much traveling all over the world. And the last station we were was in the Middle East when we came home. We wanted to go out in the country. And uh, we decided to that I make brandy, but not just brandy, uh, but Edelbrand, which is a very, very special product. It's uh, the purest of the pure of fruit brandy. And this comes from the history of Austria, or actually Austria, Germany, and Switzerland, all these alpine regions that uh, they pretty much started making fruit brandy and corn Brand, what they call it, pretty much the ancestor of whiskey, since the 14th century. They are not allowed to enhance anything, especially sugaring it up or something, what everybody else does, or adding any grain alcohol because they would produce more alcohol and, God forbid, the government would miss out on taxes. So that's a big thing. If you actually break that, and over there, it's not just a rule, it's a law. If you break that law, you lose your license, which is in your family for generations and for centuries, pretty much. Wow. You go to jail up to 10 years, and you pay a fine up to 150,000 euros. So that's a huge thing. And of course, you are dishonored in the, in the whole community and everything, because this is a no-no, an absolute 
Yeah. No, no. So when we decided to do that, you know, it's you can learn distilling today online. You go on YouTube, you can you can learn that in a step. You can distill, you can do whatever you want. You can make alcohol from sugar. You cannot make Edelbrand just from an online course or anything. Because, of course, they did not always have the best fruit. Because sometimes they had not enough rain, not enough sun, whatever. So sometimes they had crab apples, whatever. So they had to work with what they had. So over the centuries, they pretty much developed certain secrets in their processes and their mashing and everything and their distilling to get out the best product ever. Because, of course, who had the best product? Got the best stuff. They were trading with it. They were bartering with it. So over the centuries, it developed into a very finicky process, actually, because there we are, everybody else, if you make whiskey, vodka, rum, tequila, not to down anybody, but they pretty much, they uh, make their mash, they almost cook their mash, so they sterilize it pretty much right there, then they put it in the still, they distill it, what they get out, they take, they put in a barrel and hold their fingers and hope in two, three, four years, they get a good product out of it. If it doesn't taste enough like that, we can flavor it, we can color it, we can in, sugar it up. And blend it, yeah. What, yeah. Oh, well, blending. But they can enhance it afterwards. The Edelbrand distiller, what he puts in there, what he gets out there, that's it. There is no sugaring up, no flavoring, no coloring, no enhancement whatsoever. And the other thing is, again, putting it in a barrel, for instance. A lot uh, try now to put it in a barrel when they have a surplus of fruit. They are only allowed actually to sell 59 proof gallons a year. And only, not in stores, only at local bars and restaurants or from their distillery. So that is... If you see these bottles over there, the 375 milliliters, these bottles, that's okay. about 500 bottles of this per year okay. in total. Not just per fruit, in total. Just to give you uh, an example, Jim Beam sold the equivalent of 42 million of these in 2020. <laughs> just right. so 500, 42 million. Uh, when we decided to do that, of course, I went back to Austria. I went through all these seminars, you know, uh, uh, courses and everything uh, where you generally learn to distill, to make brandy and everything. And then, of course, it came to Edelbrand. So I pretty much traveled over Bavaria, uh, southern Germany, Austria to find an Edelbrand distiller. Uh, pretty much to, to, to teach me. Like I said before, it took them centuries to develop these processes. So these were actually deeply held secrets, which only went from generation to generation. Uh, so now I come as an outsider. <laughs> now I'm like, okay, can you teach me that? And it was pretty much everything as long as it was general. Everybody gave me all the information. It was like, <laughs> Good luck. See ya. <laughs> and I was excused. So it was it was really kind of depressing because I couldn't find anybody to teach me because again I was an outsider. Yeah, you no. weren't part of the family. No, no. <laughs> so it was pretty much the last station where I was, and I went up there, and this is a little village called Stanz. Stanz is a village with one hundred I think 154 households or something and 56 distilleries. They call themselves the Schnapps Village of Austria. They have their Schnapps Fest and everything. So pretty much they, they know what they are doing. We call it actually Whoville because it's really like when you see the green yeah. know you go up there <laughs> through the mountains, through the clouds and ta-da, there it is. And it is really like that, you know, with steeple and everything, yeah. picture postcard. And I stopped at the first house, the first Edelbrand distiller, met the guy, 
And this whole village is pretty much like a co-op. And it happened that he was, and still is, the president of this co-op. And of course, it was again, you know, <laughs> so, yeah, good luck, yeah, right. <laughs> so I was like, man, now I have to go back to Texas empty-handed. And he said, what, what are you talking about, Texas? You Austrian. You, right. you speak my language. <laughs> yeah, I'm Austrian, but I live in Texas, and actually I want to do that in Texas. I said, hang on, that's a completely this is different, different yeah. thing. Because they are not allowed to export. They are not even allowed to export within the European Union. So he told me, wait a second, uh, let me talk. He called me the next day in the hotel and said, you know what? The village has decided we teach you because you are no competition for us here. So let's get it out in the world and let's see what's happening. But you come here, we teach you, we train you, you leave when we tell you you are ready, not before. And that was actually it. I was there the first time two weeks, the second time three weeks. I, I always say I wasn't trained, I was indoctrinated <laughs> because they pretty much really said, when you leave here, you have to master that because we cannot hold your hand over there. You have to know what you're doing. You have heard about the heads, the hearts, the tails, mm -hmm. probably. So the heads is pretty much the stuff which makes you blind or kills you. So that's it. You can drink antifreeze. It's the same thing. <laughs> So the heads is the first thing you discard. The hearts is the one you want. The tails is the one you discard because it has all these heavy fusel oils in it, which give you the headache, the hangover, and stuff like that. So now you have the cuts. You have the border between the heads and the heart, the, the, the part you want, and the same border you have towards the tails. With fruit, and especially with Edelbrand, where you cannot enhance anything, it is not always the same. Because you do not get always this, the perfect same fruit. It varies season to season. Yeah. Exactly. It's always different. And actually, batch to batch is different. Because sometimes you have a little bit more water content in it, sometimes less. So it's, it, this, this line here is really fuzzy. And that is the part where the Edelbrand distiller has to master his craft. Because the industrial distiller goes slightly over that line. Edelbrand doesn't work like that. We have to go to the limit here. Why? Because it's exactly after the heads, this first part, which comes out comes the best part of the fruit brandy. All the aromas, all the, 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 the flavor and everything is in there. So I want to catch that without getting the heads. Yeah. That's the hard part. It can take up to two and a half hours for this part to happen. But when it happens, it happens within three seconds. So I have to be very vigilant. I have to be very, very attentive. This is the part where I... Smell, taste, smell, taste, smell, taste. And it's not physics anymore. It's only my nose and my taste buds. Right before the tails start, the smoothest and sweetest part of the brandy comes out, which, again, I want all in that package of the heart because this is then a homogenic product and it needs all these parts together to be Edelbrand. How, how did you guys meet? Um, in Houston, the first time we laid eyes on each other, I was I had been working in Canada, and I'd flown down. I was home for a couple of weeks. I was there with a girlfriend at the time, and we went to a party at the house. We had a band in the garage. It was a birthday party for somebody, and um, I was leaving at 6 o'clock the next morning to fly back to Canada, and uh, my friend's Mm, well, they were like, you know, hey, let's do another shot. Let's do another shot. Let's do another. So, uh, so he was kind of illuminated. Let's yeah. say it like that. He was kind of illuminated and I was there and uh, I stood there and he came up and said, my name is Casey or as the French say, Cassin. <laughs> and I 
thought, okay, <laughs> French, wonderful. So I said, si tu veux parler en français, c'est pas de problème parce que je parle français. So he looked at me like right now <laughs> and said, no. <laughs> uh, I meant to say the Spanish thing. So I said no. So, so, of course, she thought I was a jerk. Well, that was in November. And then in December on New Year's, I was there with my girlfriend. And um, I was the uh, uh, MC there. We had a band there and everything. It was a coffee shop slash wine bar. Um, and I was the MC. I counted down. When I counted down, um, my girlfriend was a little upset because it took me 30 seconds to get over to her uh, after we counted down. And, of course, I met some people on the way. I kissed them along the way. Happy New Year's. That upset her. So I took her home. She said, take me home. So I took her home. She slammed the door on my vehicle, my brand-new Pathfinder that I had just bought. Turned around, walked out. She said, we'll talk tomorrow. I said, no, we won't. I said, you don't respect the things I own. You don't respect me. I went straight back up there, and there I saw Alexandra. So uh, two weeks later, I met them again at the same place, and uh, her and her friend, which was German, they were going to a Fasching, a German Fasching. Oh, I've been to one of those. Those are crazy. It's, oh, it's, yeah. It's the weirdest thing. <laughs> yeah. So I said, I'll drive. Do you mind if I go? I'll bring my sister-in-law. She'd love to go to the Fasching. Well, she didn't show up. My sister-in-law didn't show up. So it was just us three. We went, went out there to dance. Uh, I asked her to dance. She said, I only dance like they do in Europe. But she didn't realize when I was 21 years old and I was in Lafayette, Louisiana, that uh, I taught dancing at night, uh, like Fred Astaire dance. dance yeah. Ballroom school. dancing. Yeah. Ballroom dancing. So we went out there. We started dancing. Um, it was like we have been dancing for 20 years together. Nice. And at that point, I said. And that was it? Yeah. And I said, this is my wife. I don't want y'all leaving here. Because yeah. I know your mouth probably watering a little bit. Uh, I'm trying to figure out which way to go. Well, I think that. Describing that cherry, mm -hmm. that oak cherry. I've never yeah. had an. I, I, he will I go with the cherry opened. He will go with the pear opened. With the pear opened. Mm -hmm. Just uh, set it right there. You can smell it. But, uh, the balance gotcha. between yeah. between the taste, the aroma, and the alcohol, and alcohol is pretty much perfect. That's that's Europe. This is Texas. <laughs> All right, we're about to drink t the Texas version here. This is, of course, here you will miss the peat. Because there is no peat. Yeah, but the oak, I can, it's... it's uh, <laughs> it changes it completely. This is, wow, this is good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we hear that a lot. No. Uh, wow. Thankfully, uh, nowhere in the world do you get that. This is the only place. In it's the only place here. That's why I call it the unicorn. Because nobody, nobody puts the cherry in oak. Caskets. No, they, they, yeah, may, they yeah. may flavor Cask it, they may color it and, and, and put oak flavoring. And but like we are that. talking about Edelbrand, Edelbrand cherry oak. I am not very much for high proof because it burns your taste buds and uh, you do not taste the fruit anymore. Of course, with uh, high high proof bourbons. That is <laughs> it's still coming it's in like it. yeah it's just like it's just like pow yeah it is I mean it's just yes. like just, uh huh you bite in a pear yeah mm -hmm. that's yeah. a wow that's exactly what I'm going for yeah oh my gosh that's that's amazing gave thank me, you that gave me goosebumps <laughs> I mean, now, <laughs> now, you, now you know what? <laughs> yeah, it's some good stuff. Doing something which not everybody can do is okay. It's 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 tiring and it's it's a, a labor of love, definitely. But when you have that outcome. It's beautiful. To try the Appengold Edelbrand, you can book an appointment with the Austrian Farms Distillery of Texas. Find out more about them at aftdistillery.com. We recommend that you book an appointment and a tasting as soon as possible. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Texas Hatters and Willigan's Island, for making our show possible. Willigan's Island is 1980s original design beachware and award-winning pickled green beans and okra. 78644 is produced by Kate Collins. Recorded at Troubadour Image and Sound here in Lockhart. In studio performances by Beth Lee. Music by The Misfit Toys, myself, Stephen Collins. 
And stay tuned for a very special performance of John Lennon's So This Is Christmas with myself, Vanessa Lane, Pollyanna, and Dustin Welsh. Merry Christmas. So this is Christmas. What, what have, have you done? done? Another, Another year over. New won't just be done. So this is Christmas. I hope you have fun. The near and the dear one. The old and the young. Merry Christmas.